This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, it's Film Study once again. Looking back at preseason week three again as uh, the Ravens headed down the beltway to Washington for another historic win, win number 20, as we discussed yesterday. Of course, everyone's going to come out of it talking about the injury as well. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing okay. Um, glad to talk about Ravens as uh, the Orioles are not so fun to talk about, and I just finished with 336. <laughs> so uh, joining us to talk and really dig into the Ravens is the host of Locked on Ravens, who's doing a show pretty much by himself every single day. So it'll be fun to get into some of this is Kevin. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. I'm, I'm pumped to be back on here talking some football. Ostriker, right? That's how you pronounce yes, your last exactly. name? Exactly. First try. There yeah. you go. See, you, you caught go. my hint that I just have Yes, yes. I, <laughs> I, I, it was so subtle. <laughs> People sometimes give up and say ostrich, so sometimes not saying anything's better. <laughs> well, right. a lot of times I'll try to write down the Twitter handle because I can play that off as the right. last name <laughs> and everyone's fine. But but not when he's K Ostriker or whatever. Exactly. So. All right. Outstanding. So uh, big game for the offense, uh, particularly uh, after that first drive, which had some forgettable events. Good drive. I mean, 11 plays, 66 yards, I think. But uh, uh, they moved down the field effectively. The offensive line looked pretty good. Uh, Dobbins and and, uh, um, Gus both looked good in terms of their runs uh, until the tragedy happened. Yeah, it. 
It was a rough sequence that those last four plays, it was Lamar Jackson gets sacked. The J.K. Dobbins injury happens. Lamar Jackson gets sacked again. And then Jake Verity misses that 40 yard field goal. So I'm sure everybody wants to block that out. But I agree. It was a drive that the offense was moving well. They they ended up getting back to their bread and butter, which was running the football. They dominated on the ground throughout the entire game. But on the first drive in particular, I did think the offensive line looked pretty good. There were a couple of plays where, you know, obviously those two sacks, one of them, Ronnie Stanley, he blocked this guy, but Jackson moved around in the pocket. The guy got around mm-hmm. and ended up sacking him. And then obviously the J.K. Dobbins injury was kind of the damper there. But I thought the first team offense looked good overall. And it's a good sign to come, even though Dobbins won't be with the team in 2021. It, uh, Gus Edwards, his his stock obviously rises tremendously. And this is a team that now will have to rely on him. And I think Tyson Williams now gets into that rotation with some heavy workload. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about how they'll deal with J.K. Dobbins injury, because I think it's really the last thing we want to hit on for the night. Let's let's uh, take a moment to revel in what happened. That first drive additionally had a couple of nice throws, uh, one to Andrews in particular that that you know kind of cements that connection again. If you've been to camp, you know Lamar just loves throwing the ball to Andrews, and there is an issue that he might not like to throw the ball to other receivers enough. You, we we would love to see more connection. Now, part of the problem is that a lot of his other first string receivers that he will be throwing to during the year are not even available for practice right now. Yeah, and I think that and the offensive line are the two that people are looking at Mm -hmm. in terms of continuity and overall reps that they've gotten during training camp. In the preseason, there have not been many. And for Marquise Brown, who has now returned, obviously we don't know what's happening with Miles Boykin yet at this time. Rashad Bateman is out. Sammy Watkins has been out. The Ravens got Lamar Jackson all these weapons, and they haven't been able to be on the field. It's really been Andrews who's been that beacon of consistency in terms of top targets. So it only makes sense for now that, in my opinion, maybe over the first couple of weeks, Jackson ends up favoring Andrews, as we've seen in the past. You know, they have that chemistry together. I don't think that's (laughs) going to be a theme for the entire season, but it's been the Jackson and Andrews show. I think it probably will be a theme for the entire season, but but they'll be they'll be throws to Hollywood as well. Right, he, yeah. He's thrown to he's thrown to Andrews for <laughs> you know their entire time together, which is now you know three years, right? And and going, uh, I think they did a good job this this game of opening the playbook. Uh, Huntley really, we had not gotten a good read on him before this game. It was a lot of little crappy little level zero boot plays where he's going to basically what is a, a outlet receiver instead of reading from deep to nearest. He seemed to have be having a lot of problems in throwing it to that first level guy. Uh, we saw more stretches down the field, lots of shots, lots of good time in the pocket to take those shots, which I thought was great. There was some pressure, but but uh, there were a lot of ATS hampered opportunities, three second pockets where he had time to really pick a target down the field uh, and and take a shot. And he hit some of those, and some of them he overthrew by just a little bit. Yeah, and I think this is what we needed to see out of Tyler Huntley, which was, you mentioned it, we we got a somewhat of a read on him, but we didn't really know. And he got this full game outside of the first drive to show what he had. The deep shots were there. There were some that you mentioned were a little overthrown, weren't quite on the money. But he also, at other points, wasn't helped out by his receivers. Deion Kane yeah. dropped a couple of passes. So his stat line, and his stat line was amazing. It could have looked even better with a couple mm-hmm. of undropped passes by a few receivers. So when you look at it that way, I think that he did everything he needed to to fully, you know, 100%. This is the backup quarterback. There's no shot, <laughs> you know, McSorley gets that. I think he secured that before this game. But, yeah. you know, now I think there, there's no doubt in anybody's mind 
I was also very impressed with how he managed the pressure when he did get it. You know, he and Jackson are very similar in the fact that they can create something out of nothing. And he showed that escapability, but it wasn't just he was tucking and running. He also was able to throw the football to targets and throw the ball accurately under pressure as well. Yeah, that was a that was a big deal. And uh, a lot of the pressure given up, particularly on the left side by Schofield. And I, I, I scored Schofield, we'll get into this a little later, for seven pressures in this game. Uh, and, and most of those occurred between two and a half and three seconds. Uh, but when they do, and they're mirroring pressures where Schofield is, as a function of his mirroring, is giving ground in the pocket, Ronnie Stanley does that same thing. And Ronnie Stanley gives up a fair number of pressures that PFF doesn't count because they're more than two and a half seconds. But I do because I use a three second standard. Just a definitional difference. I'm not trying to put down one system or the other. But the point is that a a mobile quarterback can work very well with that sort of pressure. And so what we saw out of Schofield and what we saw out of Huntley to, to mirror Lamar and what we saw to Schofield to be similar to Stanley gives me good feelings about the need to replace either during the season. I mean, we would not want either of those players to be lost, but all might not be lost if they were lost only for the remainder of a game, say. Right, exactly. After this game, I feel very confident in Tyler Huntley and what he'd be able to do if Lamar Jackson were to miss time due to any reason. And I think that's what people are looking for. I think last season when Robert Griffin III came into the game, you know, he did not have it. I don't think he he had some nice plays and he helped the Ravens do a lot of good things. But I think now Lamar Jackson has graduated from, all right, let's have that veteran mentor to let's find the best person to run a Lamar Jackson offense. And I think Tyler Huntley gives them that both with skill set and just with everything that he's shown over these past couple of games. So, yeah, I'm confident in what Huntley can do. And with the news that the Ravens are moving on from Schofield, maybe he gets brought back. Maybe he doesn't. Yeah. I think that that's another option for them that they can keep open. And even if Stanley were to go down, they know that they have somebody they can call who is familiar with their playbook and familiar with their offense. Well, Schofield will be will be gone with the normal erosion of left tackle depth in the NFL. He's played, I think, too well over the course of this preseason for other teams to ignore him. So what what I think needs is going to probably happen is that the Ravens have a handshake deal with him. They have some several players, at least a couple of receivers and, and, and Boyle that they're probably going to put on IR to start the year. But in order to get them there, they have to have them on the 53 man roster come tomorrow at 4 p.m. Then a day later, they can put those guys on IR and re-sign three players. And Schofield is in that sweet spot of veteran players who can be brought back on this kind of a deal without having to pass through waivers. So uh, he and Levine and Tomlinson and Ellis and some other players, McPhee, could be players that, that are released uh, very surprisingly in the next 24 hours, but it's not permanent. And and I'm not 100% sure whether it will be or not with him. I mean, being released a day early doesn't seem like it's a good sign, but I still believe basically on the Ravens tackle depth, they're going to need to get somebody and Schofield is a reasonable answer. Yeah, I think he's certainly reasonable. And what this also could be is if the Ravens decide not to bring him back, which at this point we just don't know yet, I think that they – would trust their depth enough. Obviously, I don't think it's a ton, but do they trust Tyree Phillips to be that swing tackle if they're starting Ben Powers at left guard in week one? Or do they trust Patrick McCarry to kick out there and play quality snaps for them at I'll tackle? the answer to that one. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's been an up and down. Anytime you can have a guy who can play all five positions on your line, I mean, that's such a valuable thing to have. But if he's not, <laughs> if he's not giving you quality snaps, it's a different story. 
So yeah, it's, it's not real versatility. That's my problem with it, Kevin, is that, is that he's played left tackle and he's not played it well. And he played right tackle for a half last year and was pretty good, I think, at New England. Uh, but but he, hasn't, he, he hasn't played left tackle well. And every time he's out there, he looks like a fish out of water in terms of his length, uh, really not being able to stand up to, you know, fast players on the outside who have some length. And I just, you know, the notion that he can play all five positions, it doesn't score any points for him in terms of making the roster because I don't think he really can play left tackle. Getting back to your other point about the swing tackle situation, uh, Tyree Phillips can, can replace the right tackle, but he's not a true swing tackle. So it would force AV to the left side, which he's played for many years and might be the most reasonable change period. Um, but, but Schofield would have been a guy who could have been that one for one replacement that the Ravens seek when they usually make lines during, uh, make changes on the line during the season. They'd, they'd rather not have two positions impacted. Yeah. And, and we saw that with Orlando Brown moving, you throw in someone else, the, the rotation happens at right tackle and then everything gets out of whack because we saw, I can't even count the number of offensive line combinations we saw in 2020. So the one for one trade is definitely better. And I'm also comfortable or more comfortable with Patrick McCarry on the inside. So that yeah. becomes a question now of if Patrick McCarry is the backup center, because Bradley Bozen is a starter, is it worth it for this team to keep three centers and keep Tristan Colon on the roster? Right now I have him off of my roster because I, I think they like him a lot, but I, I think they need else, depth elsewhere. You know, I have Ben Bredesen in over him, and I don't think keeping three centers with other positions that they need desperately right now, like more more guys in the secondary Maybe a wide receiver surprises. I think that they would also use a spot on an offensive tackle as opposed to three centers. We, we, let's go through the individual offensive linemen because those three names are really the key in roster construction for the Ravens. It's the three interior offensive linemen who duplicate a lot of, you know, their, their jobs are duplicative. They have three guys who are guard centers and they're all backups. And then they also have Cleveland, who's a backup left guard and, and looks like you know, he'll be okay, but, but they, but they don't need three backup guard centers on a team like that. So, so somebody's not making it and maybe two people are not. I want to go through the, the players individually on the offensive line, because this show always has kind of an offensive line bent to it. But more importantly, this season, the offensive line, I think is more important than just about anything else we can talk about. So Stanley returned. I thought he looked okay in 10 snaps. We didn't see much. I don't really blame him for what happened on the sack. I think both of them were kind of coverage sacks and actually the sack that he got the fumble recovery on. Uh, it was actually Zeitler who triggered the sack. It was him, him, him. He flushed the pocket, caused Huntley to bring the ball down. Uh, sorry, Jackson to bring the ball down. And then the, uh, uh, the, the sack came after that. And, and I, think, I think somebody awarded it to, to Stanley or, or, or charged Stanley with a, with a sack, which seemed patently unfair. First pressure earns the sack in, in my book. Yeah, I, I agree. And overall, I think the starting line looked good. Ronnie Stanley was about as good as you could have hoped in his first action in a while. So I think that he was someone who I was, one, getting into something with him. He's going to take some time to ramp up. And getting him a drive was important. And obviously, there's the debate about playing starters, not playing starters. He was out there. I think he did all right. Moving to Bradley Bozeman. I think that, or moving to Ben Powers, Bradley Bozeman's not the sure. Who, whoever you want to name next, yeah. you, you, we'll, we'll go in order. Ben Powers, I thought he played well. Ben Powers, to me, 
after the New Orleans game, he was off my roster. I did not think mm. that he played well enough. He did not have a good game. I said that if he has a good game against Carolina, he can work his way right back up. And he did just that. And in my book, won the starting job. I think he secured that on Saturday against Washington. Now moving on to Bradley Bozeman. No, no. But first, let me talk about Powers for a okay, second here. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought he played extremely well. Uh, he's clearly won the starting job. It's one of the biggest recoveries I've ever seen within a preseason for a player because players don't normally win or lose jobs in the preseason. But I recorded a left guard episode um, uh, about concerns. And, you know, this is about two weeks ago we recorded the episode. It still has not aired. And of course, you know, it was after the first game and we thought, well, you know, chance of powers being the starter is maybe 10 percent at this point. Cleveland still, you know, was hurt. And that was maybe leaving the door open a little bit. But Tyree Phillips was thought to be, you know, a player. And then all of a sudden, you know, this is really taking form and shape. Bose, sorry, not Bozeman. Um, powers has played two of the most physical games of his career these last two weeks. I mean, he's been mauling people, uh, doing all the things we'd expect of him. And uh, I think it, he's. He's clearly won the job at this point. I want to talk about Ben Cleveland a little bit later because he was fantastic in this game and really worth the discussion. But Powers has won the game. He'll he'll be there for the opener. Yeah. You want to talk Bradley Bozeman? You yes, can start yes. <laughs> the Bradley Bozeman, he, he was all right. I, a lot of people blame him for what happened on the Dobbins play. Look, I, I get it. He was the one out there. Yeah. Um, it was a one-on-two situation. You know, Bozeman was tasked there. He had two, blo- or two defenders in front of him. And... Just it was it was a bad play all around. Putting Dobbins out there on a screen with one blocker, it, it was not great. But I thought he played well overall. He he's been a bit up and down this preseason. It's a new position. It's to be expected. I'd anticipate that to still be the case over these first couple of weeks. But I thought overall that that the snaps he played against Washington, I thought were fine. Yeah, they, I I would say better than that. They he had he was only in for 10, 10 snaps, the same snaps as the rest of the starters played. He, he had four blocks all positive that made my notes. And I'm, I'm with you on the screen pass that it was a bad situation. Uh, he kind of didn't connect in space, maybe the way you would have liked for him, but it was also crowded um, at that point. So it was going to make it difficult to do it either way. Um, I, I he, you know, Snaps have been on target since really day one or two of camp when he was not. Yeah, I think he's maybe had one, two errant snaps since. Generally speaking, the Ravens have been on target with those shotgun snaps, and that's been good to see. So uh, I think he'll be effective. I think the physicality we saw in this game in particular was was at his highest level of the preseason so far. And I think he projects to be a very good center this year. So I I, I think as as much as he did at left guard to drive our right-handed run game with tons of pulls, I think he's going to be extremely good being the back end of some double teams and also a climber at times on combination blocks at that center position should be, it should be a lot of fun to watch him play this year. Yeah, I completely agree. And putting him next to Kevin Zeitler, I think is going to be great for him. I know that Orlando Brown Jr. talked about how having Marshall Yonda next to him was great for him, especially coming into a position. I think it'll be the same thing with Zeitler. Zeitler was okay against Washington. Wasn't great. Wasn't, awful but you know he's a veteran out there i trust him week one to be up to his game he's been solid for years now so it was an okay game for zeitler against washington but i'd anticipate him to play a lot better during the regular season yeah i i would too and i think he's clearly the glue that holds this line together as you're kind of i think there's multiple ways he can help first of all um uh he's he's a good 
technical double team player and climber. So he'll give you that. He has a lot of individual pass blocking ability um, that we obviously haven't had since Yanda at that position. Um, and he also, uh, he does a good job um, uh, when he is comboing to either side in terms of, it, it probably is a matter of signaling on when the other guy should let his block go and move up. So they have go codes and they have, you know, ways to bump each other in the rear and stuff, bump each other with their rear, as Matt Skura told us on the show, uh, to, to send the next, uh, send the guy next to you off to the next level. But uh, they're very good at it. And this team, in particularly what I saw from Powers, from Cleveland, it's true of Zeitler. Um, I think Villanueva is getting it at, at, at right tackle is going to be very good at these combination blocks in terms of moving up. Bozeman, we haven't seen much of it at center, but I, I believe he's got all the tools because he's been doing it at guard. Yeah, and this line is also going to be a powerful one. I think Zeitler has power to move guys off the line, and as a lot of these guys do. I mean, we'll talk about Ben Cleveland. But yeah, I think that moving on to Alejandro Villanueva, even after you know the first game against New Orleans, it was people weren't sold on it. They, they thought that he wasn't going to be very good, the positional move, what he, what he was going to do. I thought over the past couple of games, he's played rather well, you know, he's obviously moving to a new position, so it's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be this amazing thing off the bat, mm-hmm. but I thought he showed improvement, which is honestly what I wanted to see out of him in the preseason, because that's where I think the growth comes. And then by week one, we're going to see, I think a better player at right tackle. It's, it's funny that the lights seemed to go on in the second game exactly when Zeitler was playing with him. Right. Because they played 18 snaps together in that game, 10 together in this game. I think Villanueva's looked like a changed man from that first game against uh, against the Saints where he didn't look as good. And I can't even tell you who's at right guard to start. might have been Powers, might have been Tyree <laughs> Phillips, but it was, I think it was one of those two. might have been McCary. But yeah, it, yeah, in I any case – it, it didn't it didn't look good in that game. And now, you know, now that the, the, the right player is next to him, it's really made him a better player, I think. Yeah. And this goes back to what do we expect out of the line week one because of the injuries that have happened, because of the lack of continuity these guys have had together. These last two games have been good for them in terms of just getting on the field and game action together. So. By the time week one comes around, they play in Las Vegas on Monday night. I think that those two, sure, you know, maybe there'll be a couple of communication issues just because it's so new. It's week one. They haven't had time communicating. But I think those issues will be gone because it is such a veteran line. These guys know how to carry themselves. They know how to play NFL football. They've been around the block. And I trust these guys to maybe after a shaky couple weeks in terms of communication, they'll get it down pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm I. I at this point, my, I, I hate to say it, you know, Gilligan always says it's smooth sailing from here, but I, I really, the offensive line is not my concern. That's not my concern at all. I mean, there are other concerns about the offense, particularly at wide receiver. You know, can they really threaten the whole field? Can they do the things they, they wanted? But the offensive line is in just such good shape. Can they replace J.K. Dobbins, which we'll get to, you know, later? I think those are legitimate claims, but I think the offensive line, we can, we can hip pocket that for a few weeks until somebody gets hurt, hopefully. Hopefully it doesn't happen in a few weeks. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> let's, let's move on to uh, Tyree Phillips. I'll go first on this one. He's, he's bold by a pressure for Wise, uh, another one by Bada. Uh, so that was a couple pressures that, that uh, are not ideal. He missed a pull on the cornerback Roberts, which is part of that Keystone Cops play where McCrary ran to the right for minus four. Behind that play, Mason ran into Serrell or somebody in the backfield. So it was a, there's a bunch of things going wrong at the same time that led to a run right for minus four. Um, but but uh, part of that was Phillips not, uh, not connecting on his pull. I, I think Phillips is probably done at guard for the year. 
I think I think if the Ravens see what I see, they'll stick him at tackle, practice him there, and pretty much at right tackle as a two the rest of the season. And when he's needed, hopefully he'll have developed at the you know the focused set of responsibilities they give him over there at right tackle. Yeah, I think that'd be the smart thing to do, Ken. I think when looking at Phillips, Ronnie Stanley has not played a full 16-game, I guess now 17-game season his entire mm-hmm. career. He has missed at least one game in every season, plus he's coming off of that injury. So if you factor in, all right, maybe he'll miss a game or two. You want to have Phillips ready. You want to have him practicing, mm-hmm. getting familiar with that position. I think Phillips was up and down this preseason. That's only two games for him. He did not play in week two. You know, there were plays in week one against New Orleans where I just did not think he knew what he was doing, didn't understand his assignment. He got bullied over a couple of times. In week three, he was better. You mentioned those two pressures, but I think he is more of a tackle, a right tackle, as you said, at this point during his career. And to have that guy, especially if there isn't a Schofield reunion, to have him at right tackle, that's their best option if, if a guy goes down like going away with yeah. Stanley. And that, that's not much. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is part of the reason why I think Schofield may not be the exact guy they want. Yeah. But Schofield is in in the opportunity set, in the universe of guys. If there's a better guy, we'll go out and get him. But mm-hmm. you can't go into the into the season with these three tackles being all you've got. It's not it's just it's not enough security on the left side uh in particular. Yeah, and I remember distinctly talking about this last offseason with somebody, and they were saying <laughs> they do not have enough tackle depth. And lo and behold, they did not have enough tackle depth. So heading into this offseason, it seems like they were going to draft somebody. It seemed like they were going to address it in free agency at some point. Not with this huge $100 million signing, but just with a guy who could step up and play. And you know, who knows if Jawan James is coming back this season? Who knows mm-hmm. if they're going to have that option. But I do think that with waivers, with guys who were cut, guys have already been cut, they could try to bring somebody in because as we talked about, having all those interior offensive linemen as backups doesn't give you a ton of flexibility in terms of your outside options. Right. It, it certainly doesn't if, if they can't play there. So it, it, it really makes a lot more sense to me that they uh, they look outside or, or re-sign SCO. Um, Cologne, we talked about it. We could talk about the three guys here, I guess, the McCary, Cologne, Bredesen, I think, as – as you look at this, in this game, his, his snaps are on target. I, there wasn't a big problem with his blocking. I've got notes for him, but I don't think we need to go into that. Um, his, if he's just a straight duplicate for McCary, then I, I, McCary could be in trouble because Cologne is a second-year player. Bredesen is a second-year player. McCary is a third-year player. So you get additional years of team control out of the situation. Um, if you decide one or two of two from those three are going to make the team. Yeah, I I think it's probably going to be two of the three. I don't see a scenario where they keep all three of them because again, they're, they're just at some point they are, they're overlapping too much. And Mm -hmm. the reason that I have Macari over Cologne right now, and it's so close, it could change in a heartbeat for me, but Mm -hmm. I just think on a team that values versatility, and obviously it doesn't help if you can't play it well, but on a team that values versatility, Makari has shown that he can play inside at center and guard decently. So with the year of team control not being in his favor, that's something I think they certainly do consider. And they love Cologne, I think. They they called him up Mm -hmm. to their active roster last year because teams were threatening to take him off. And they said, no, thank you. We're going to keep him because we like him. So that's a huge endorsement. And... With Bredesen, he has also the the flexibility to move to other parts of the line. I know they were trying him out at center at points last offseason, and I think there was some this as well. 
But well, I they did on Saturday night. They played him a little yeah. bit at center. But you know, you know that that's one of the issues I have with Bredesen is if they really loved him, they'd have had him play in center a lot more this camp, and that really wasn't the case. So if I think this is his first trial at center under live fire. And if you've been at camp, he's just not playing center very much. They, the centers go off by themselves and they snap the ball and they had Mance in that group until they traded him. And now, uh, um, you know, I'm not, I, the, 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 it's closed to the media now, but, uh, but uh, Mance, is, Mance is obviously traded. So now it's Bredesen would be the fourth center, I assume there. And it made, it would have made all kinds of sense for him to try and learn that position here because otherwise as a pure backup guard, I don't see how he could make the roster. I don't see how it would make any sense. Yeah, he the, the only way that he makes the team is if the Ravens believe in him enough being a second-year guy and, you know, they 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 don't like moving off of, of rookies off of second-year guys. They did it with Sean Wade. That that was a surprise to many. But I, I think the latest example where the Ravens moved off of a mid-round guy was Dalen Mack a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's might have a good been one. Someone different. So they they rarely do it. And in terms of Bredesen, also something I'm looking at with all the positions on the roster is who is most likely to not get claimed on waivers? Is Bredesen somebody who they can sneak onto their practice squad if they like enough? Would Cologne be that guy? Would Macari? I don't think any of them make it, to be honest. I think one of them gets claimed by one team, at least, if they hit the waiver wire. So... You know, it depends based off of how much you value one versus the other. But I think at the end of the day, the Ravens are going for versatility. And I think Macari offers them that definitely. And Bredesen, they just might not want to move off of because of the fact he was a fourth rounder. They want to give him more time. If they if they let whoever they let go, they got to be prepared to lose them. Yeah. Lose them, lose them. Not about they could decide they can trade one. I mean, hey, somebody needs a guard center combo. Hit us up. I mean, I'm I'm was shocked by the Mance trade. Absolutely <laughs> shocked by it. Uh, you know that, that that could happen. And now, you know, it, it, not to get too much off topic, but it is scored kind of on topic for the offensive line we're talking about. Arizona is bereft of cornerbacks right now. They have no one, and the Ravens, of course, have a surplus, yeah. and they're going to have to cut somebody who I think should make another roster and almost certainly will be claimed. The question would come, do you go ahead and trade somebody to the Arizona Cardinals for one of their backup tackles? They have two guys. Uh, one of them I kind of like. He was a third-round pick last year. So it would be kind of a big move for the Cardinals to dump a guy like that. But they've already got it moved into guard, and I don't believe he's playing. That's Josh Jones. Yep. So uh, you know, it, it, it's an interesting player, and, and maybe even give Warrior and something else like a sixth round pick, fifth, uh, sixth or seventh round pick, yep. to, to just add up a little bit of change for the Cardinals and sell it to their fans. But uh, but boy, the, the Ravens, if if they got to tackle that way and and used some of their cornerback depth to make it happen, I think I'd be fine with that. Warrior's not a hundred percent, by the way, to be claimed by by another team. Uh, he sat there all last year on the practice squad. Nobody claimed him. And, and uh, uh, I think it's possible he makes it through anyway. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, not going too much to the defensive side of the ball, but if you're looking at guys who you want to trade away because mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to make it through waivers, Chris Westry's probably making the team, but if they cut him, he would not make it through. I don't think. Right. Of course not. Yep. I don't think our Darius Washington would make it through. I think he, mm-hmm. he, he was offered a lot of money by a lot of teams. And the Ravens ended up winning that battle for him. So I don't think he's getting claimed. Warrior, I agree with you. I don't think him. Geno Stone's kind of 50-50 for me. I'm not entirely sure. I think they, the Ravens love him. And it'd be, it's tough to see any of these guys 
not making the yeah. roster, but one of them is going to not make the roster. <laughs> yeah, one of one of the one of those four will not make the roster. I think the other three all will. Yeah. I think Warrior is the guy on the outside. There's no way it's Stone. I mean, he just provides too much for this team in terms of being a legitimate free safety and a good guy on the back end in the dime. Uh, you know, it's, he's he's real depth and he's real special teams value. So I think I think it would be a big mistake if they let him go after we saw that you know what he did in the first game against the Saints. Uh, I, I, Westry, I think, has too much in the way of physical gifts, and he might not be there yet, but he's got three years of team control, and they obviously love him enough to have him higher in the, in the batting order in terms of when they come in the ballgame. And then, you know, Washington, they've used him all over the field in a similar way to the way they've used Stevens in terms of having him get slot corner action and also on the back end. Um, I think he he brings a lot of versatility and reminds me, I've said you know a number of times on the show, of Corey Ivey, you know, a guy who was just a tenacious, smaller uh, defensive back that can do it all, rush the passer, stop the run, uh, play that short area zone when you need him to. Uh, won't be the greatest at covering a guy down the field if, if, if they run a, a vertical against him. Uh, so you have to have some sort of coverage for him there. But I think he just brings a lot to it to a team. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know if they would have traded away Sean Wade or at least felt comfortable trading him away if they weren't comfortable with Washington and Stevens, who both, you mentioned it, have played all over the field. They've put both of them in the slot, yeah. nickel. They, they've moved them all around. So I, I agree. I think for Stone in particular, it's between him and Warrior for me, and Warrior's the more likely one to not make it or to make it through waivers and make it to the practice mm-hmm. squad. It seems like the players love Stone, the coaches love Stone, and that's not saying they don't like Warrior, but I just think, you know, it's so tough between the two of them. It's like a snap of the fingers, and it can go either way for me. So if they wanted to trade that guy on the outside looking into a team like the Arizona Cardinals, and you mentioned it can attach a a pick because they have 10 of them right now in the 2022 draft, I don't see 10 spots on this roster for rookies in 2022. So they're probably going to do some wheeling and dealing, and if they can get someone that helps them now for a future pick and someone who's not going to make the roster, I think that's a win for Eric DaCosta. Yeah, they do have a lot of restocking they have to do for next year. So we'll we'll see. I mean, they'll they have lots of ways to get players, UDFAs <laughs> and, and and draft and whatnot. But but they'll, they're going to need to have a good draft next year. Um, I want to talk about Schofield a little bit in terms of the scoring I had. Uh, and I'll be real quick about this just to go through it. Um, you allowed seven full pressures. Very unusual, by the way. Uh, my system, if you if two players each are responsible for allowing a pressure, then that pressure is split and there's only half the charge for it. And and that would have reduced it. But he had seven all by himself that were 100 percent him. Most of those were given up on these mirroring give ground pressures that cause him to get bumped up against the quarterback. That's actually a very um, uh, not serious form of pressure for a left tackle to give up. It's a lot better than letting the hand get on the quarterback in any way, shape or form, or certainly than a hit or a sack occur. Uh, so of, of the various types, Stanley gives up a fair number of those. And I would have, I, you know, it's, it's something I can live with. Um, he had made 11 blocks in level two in this game. Didn't make any against the Panthers. So that was something I really wanted to see was, did he have the mobility to get up to level two and, and, and hit somebody and he made 11 out of 12 blocks in level two in this game. So I was happy with that. He missed three blocks. Two of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he had a highlight combination block, which was the only one I scored. It's not a game that he wants to show his grandkids. Okay, this is not a game where he's going to pull out this tape. Well, this is the this is the way I made the Baltimore Ravens (laughs) when I was 30 years old, you know, or 31, whatever he is. But it's it's a it's a 
Um, a game where I gave him a D-plus grade overall, 0.65 per play with an adjustment that I think is probably under-reflects how decent he was in this game. I think he actually helps the Ravens um, more than that grade would be indicated. So anyway, that's where I'm on Schofield. Schofield, by, you can tell by, by the amount we've talked about in this, even though he's been cut today, terminated today, I still think there's a reasonable chance he's in the Ravens' plans for 2021. Yeah, and if it's not him, it is – probably someone else you know we've yes. talked about the need for a swing tackle someone who can play both make the one for one as you talked about ken so yeah I, I don't think schofield is as bad as that game show definitely it was you know the seven pressures almost a flukish type deal yes but i do think that if teams around the league are looking for a tackle who's solid and the the ravens have already you know kind of put him out there and he's not sure if he'd stay the whole year on Baltimore's roster and another team says hey we want you here in this sixth offensive line role then he could depart and then the Ravens would have to move and go somewhere else yeah the, the uh, there are negotiations that occur when somebody tries to pick you up like this so if they if 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 somebody tries to pick him up particularly at, if it's after tomorrow at 4:30 the ravens will get into the discussion or after specifically after wednesday at 4:30 the ravens will get into that discussion and they'll say hold on okay we understand the air offering your spot and you don't want a you know a be picked up after week 2 but we can certainly pick you up and pay you a full season contract, not a split contract or, you know, not a contract which is going to reduce your salary if you're on the practice squad at some point, yada, 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 or if we release you. Um, uh, but anyway, there, there's, there's a, uh, there are ways to, to get back in that discussion. And the Ravens, you know, I think they should be as direct as possible to Schofield and say, hey, look, you know, our roster right now as it's constructed forces us to terminate you. But we want you to understand that we still think you can play left tackle and, and we think you could help us this year, potentially. We're going to look at the other options out there like any team would. But come Wednesday, if you get an offer, come to us first with what that offer is and we'll try and match it for you. And this is such an interesting year with the roster because there could be four or five guys who oh, yeah. that's, that same discussion happens. And we haven't seen that, you know, a ton happen for this team. We've seen it before, right. but to this scale in the same year with it, is it Levine? Is it Stone? Or is it Levine? Is it McPhee? McPhee. Those are the types of Tomlinson. guys that we might yeah. see. Yep. Ellis, like yeah. all those types of guys. Yeah. And, and that's driven by the fact that teams have now figured out this three week IR is a tremendous boon. The players really like it. The, the owners seem to like it. The good teams really like it. The deep teams like the Ravens, because if you, the more people you can slip by that initial roster thing and get onto your three week IR, I mean, essentially almost gives you a 57 man roster for the year. If you have four guys who start there, I mean, you eventually have to make a roster move, but you, you get to kick that decision down the road um, as really as long as you want during the season to, to make the move to get that player back on. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very nice luxury to have. And then of course, you know, from the practice squad, you get two elevations. So the deep teams are loving that even more to, to get, you know, players up. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a much more three-dimensional chess game of roster construction now than it used to be in past years with the very draconian IR rules. You go on IR, you're done for the year. And then even that you go on the IR and you can bring one or two guys back with IR DTR was not very good either. It's not yeah, very it, lenient. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about what it was versus what it is now. It's, it's almost crazy mm-hmm. to think about going back because if you think about this team and, and even just talking about the offense in particular, the Ravens would have had to carry Bateman. They would have mm-hmm. had to carry Boyle unless they wanted to keep him on the physically unable to perform list. That's already two spots where you're not going to have somebody who can immediately contribute. 
on defense, you probably have to carry Smith if he's not going to be on IR by week mm-hmm. and come back a week three. So all these different guys that's already costing you three spots on the roster for either promising veterans or promising young players, whatever, going to back to that from what we have now with the protections on the practice squad, with the elevations from the practice squad, this helps out teams like the Ravens so much who love to scavenge for talent, keep talent on their roster and help develop them. Because if they didn't have this, they would have probably lost. Maybe our Darius Washington is on the odd is an odd man out, or maybe mm-hmm. they do have to part with two of Cologne, Macari, and Bredesen. So it's those types of scenarios where this really helps the Ravens. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I don't think we really need to talk about Foster Serrell. He didn't play particularly well. He is probably a candidate for the for the practice squad. Vance was traded this week. The other guy that a lot of people love and has certainly got all kinds of love is Ely. Adrian Ely these last couple of weeks. Now, two weeks ago, he played the last 10 snaps, or sorry, the last drive only. It was 10 or 11 snaps. I forget what it was against against Carolina. And now he played three series this last week. Uh, 18 snaps scored as I had it. I'm going to give you my scoring on this for starts, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Ely, uh, let me get to it real quickly. He missed four blocks and had a half a pressure he gave up, scored 12 out of a possible 18 points. It's not enough for a grade, but uh, it would have been on the C-minus, D-plus border for him. He did have three highlight blocks. One thing that seems to happen a lot is when entering late, I have to really question the context. Obviously, Washington was getting the snot beat out of them. In the previous <laughs> game, Carolina was beyond tired at 43 to 15 in snaps in the second half when he came in. Um, it's just I, 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 I have to look at that context. Look at all the highlight blocks being piled up on the Ravens run game uh, on these final drives and say, while I'm impressed by what he did, while I think he did was good, I, I have to take it with a grain of salt in terms of all the highlights he produced. Yeah, I I agree. I think I would have liked to see him more, maybe against twos. You know, I I don't Mm -hmm. know how he would have looked there. I thought he was, I thought it was pretty good this preseason overall. I thought in this game he was okay. I, I think there's just not a ton of information on him in terms of a what can he do from the pro level perspective because we just haven't seen him against you know the quality yeah. defenders of the NFL and you're not really going to see a ton of guys against those guys in the preseason so i think okay. that there's a lot of work to do but still okay so you're faced with three choices as eric DaCosta. number 1 is cut the guy and don't look back number number 2 is um, put him on season ending ir which is certainly a possibility number 3 would be slip him onto the roster somehow um, and then um, maybe you IR him there uh, if, if you can find a way to get away with that because, you know, you got enough veterans that you could probably get him onto the roster and, and IR him there. Um, what do you try and do with a guy like that? I mean, he's a developmental player. I don't think he's going to help the Ravens this year, honestly. I don't think he's part of even, even – if they would really have to be in devastatingly bad shape to turn to Adrian Ely at right tackle this year. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's a piece for them this year. If I was faced with those three decisions, I would probably try to get him on the roster, but there isn't a clear avenue for that right now. There is the veteran option, as you mentioned, but right now I just don't see a spot for him. Maybe this is a scenario where they I have Pranel McPhee on my roster. Maybe instead of McPhee, you put Ely, and then you bring McPhee back after you put Ely on IR. But if you have to put him on IR and end a season, I don't think that's a terrible thing to do because, as you said, I don't think this is a piece for the 2021 season. There's a lot of work to do, but the Ravens gave him a lot of money, much like they did Darius Washington, to come to them to be able to hopefully grow and develop with the team. 
Yeah, and, and and I think that's the way I'd go. Also, the the really sad thing about that is he wouldn't get to practice if you do that. So if you if you can slip him onto your team, well, he doesn't get to practice while he's on IR either. There, or at least he has to have a three week ramp up period, I think, or to before, mm-hmm. where he can practice. But he, but he, all of the all the things we're kind of suggesting, unless they can slip him through to the practice squad, so you can try that. You can certainly try that. I don't think he makes it there, and that's why I didn't really include it in my three choices. But if he does, then he gets to practice with the team for the year. Right. The best scenario would be practice squad, I think, you know, mm-hmm. because they'd like somebody who would help them this year. I don't think Ely is that person, but I agree. I don't think he makes it through waivers. I think a lot of other teams were interested in him. He was a very highly rated prospect, at least more highly rated than he went, which was he didn't go. So mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, they would like him on their practice squad. But I think that's a little too good of a scenario for it to actually come true. Right. I, I actually think there's probably a... A little bit less than an even money chance they could get him through to the practice squad in the first shot. So I think right there, it's you're cutting him and you're not looking back because you know there's a pretty good chance he's going to be taken. But let's say it's it's 40% that he gets through to the practice squad. Tackle depth erodes naturally in the NFL as the season goes on. The replacement level player drops as the season goes on. And as tackle depth erodes and other teams are looking around, a player like Ely, you know, goes up from the the sixth best offensive tackle available on somebody's practice squad to the first with the fifth injury. (laughs) And so, you know, then, you you know, just naturally he's, he's going to be selected at at some point. So it's, you, you basically have lit a fuse on his Ravens future by putting him on the practice squad and, uh, and leaving him there. You, I guess you could play some sort of game of chicken where you get him to practice for five weeks and then you you uh, you pull him off and you put a, I, sorry and then you, then you then you put him on IR for the year. Yeah. But I don't I don't want to play that game. I just would rather he get positional coaching away from the team, um, you know, for the year, during the year. Yeah, I, I agree. They they could also if if they do get him on that practice squad, they could do somewhat what they did with Cologne. And when teams start to find that rumbling of, hey, we want this guy, they could just call him up and be like, we're not going to let you take him. And that could happen. Then they could have a spot because of injury or he's performed well in practice and they really like him. But for now, I think season-ending IR is the most likely option if they want to keep him around. I think putting him on the 53 just puts a little too much pressure on the rest of the roster right now. It's unfortunate, but I think if he can remain in Baltimore, it'd be a great, great thing. Yeah, I, I would too. And I think, you know, it's season ending IR is, is a significant commitment in terms of dollars. I mean, yep. they have to, they have to pay him a full first year salary to, to basically do that. And uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not an insignificant commitment. So they really have to pay for that. Let's move on. We're talking about the offensive line a ton. Let's move on to tight end. Um, you know, we saw the connection uh, between Andrews and Lamar that has remained strong. Uh, anything more to say about that or no, I, I th- it's, it's going to be good throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. This isn't a connection that's going to go away. All right. How about Oliver? What'd you think of his play? I thought he was okay. He, he was up and down for me throughout the entire preseason. It seems like, and I don't know if this is just a me feeling, but whenever the ball is thrown to him and maybe it was because he had the couple down plays against Carolina, the ball doesn't mm-hmm. seem secure when he mm-hmm. catches it. I don't know. You know, whether that's just my feeling or can you feel the same way? But whenever he it's even like right as he catches the football, it seems like the ball is jostling around a little bit. And then when he catches it, he's not really pulling it in. And it's kind of he's not taking care of it. 
But I think he's everything the Ravens are looking for in a third tight end athletically from from a Gibbs perspective. He's been better as a blocker than I thought. That's been really promising to me. Yeah. So he's kind of replacing Hayden Hurst in a way. He's not the player Hayden Hurst is, but he's a decent receiver and a decent blocker. You know, he's no Mark Andrews receiving. He's no Nick Boyle blocking. But I think he's in the middle to the point where he can grow and help the team in multiple ways. Right. They've, they've been holding back a little bit in a way that's not good for him and in, in terms of what he can show to be this level zero boot guy who, who just all he does is catch catch these balls at the line of scrimmage and try and make four yards out of it. That's that's not helping his own future. It was good to see him get a, a deep pass down the middle. He got behind the defender. I, I you know I give that credit to him. He didn't track the ball as I would like. It looked kind of looked like he's switching shoulders, mm-hmm. but it was a case where the ball was almost directly over his head. So that was one of the, one of these ones where uh, I, I, he wouldn't have caught the ball anyway. Question was, could he track the ball better to get to the next ball, which is less overthrown? And and that's a that's a possibility. I I, I think he makes the team at this point. I don't think there's any question. Um, let's go, let's move on to Tomlinson for a second. Um, I'll, I'll start on him that I thought he uh, it was very nice to see what he's done as a receiver these last two weeks. He's hardly been targeted by the Ravens. I think he might have been targeted once last year with no catches. And, you know, even earlier in his career, he got moved pretty quickly in a full time blocking role in his previous gigs, uh, moving around the NFL as he did. The 12 yard touchdown pass is an extended play. I forget if it was eight or 12, might have been eight, might have been 12, whichever it was. It was an extended play where he found space for a guy who's a pure blocking tight end to do that and bail out your quarterback. Great sign. It is. And it's almost like what we've seen with Nick Boyle over these past couple seasons where he was not a receiver. And all of a sudden he has been growing that part of his game. So for Tomlinson, who has been primarily a blocker, as you mentioned, that is what he was brought in to do when Nick Boyle went down. He is now growing that part of his game. And so with Boyle, John Harbaugh says he's not ready to play yet. If this is a handshake agreement, which I think it is with Tomlinson, because Tomlinson has reportedly been released. At this point, I think that he is a great option to take over that Boyle role until he comes back. And whether Mm -hmm. that is two, three, four, whatever it may be, I think the Ravens are in good shape there because Tomlinson has shown that growth as a receiver. Yeah, they, they don't have anyone else who really fits that bill. I mean, Boyle is a hard blocker to replace, period. But the only guy they've got as close is Tomlinson. Uh, Oliver is, is not the same guy. And, and you don't get the same thing when you put Ricard in line, even though Ricard's a lot slimmer this year. So uh, it's 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 Tomlinson or nobody. And, and if Boyle is truly not ready to start the season, I would be shocked if Tomlinson is not back on the opening day roster. So uh, I, had, I had mixed notes on him as a run blocker. So I don't think we need to go that in further uh, other tight ends. Do we, do we hit on everybody who we need to in the group Mason? Maybe we talk about a little bit here. Obviously had time at fullback, got some carries uh, mixed job as a blocker in this game, but he was terrific in the previous game as a blocker. I thought, uh, do you take the risk on putting him through the practice squad, given that so few other teams in the league play with a fullback? That That's exactly it. The, the only way that I'm taking that risk is because there are a handful, and that's a very small handful of teams that mm-hmm. actually use a fullback in this day and age. If teams view him as a tight end, it could be a little bit of a different story, but I think he projects like a Patrick Ricard. I think they made this move just in case Ricard gets a bit too pricey and a team ends up paying him a lot of money in the offseason. So that's where I think right now he's off my roster, but I would I would not be shocked at all because it seems like they love him if they put him on their mm-hmm. roster. 
Yeah, I, I, I go with both of those comments. And, and in truth, with the recent news about Ricard's offseason hip surgery, it became more apparent why they made the selection. So they, they made it as an insurance policy for Ricard's hip, not really because maybe they loved Mason as much as. OK, here's here was my reaction to it on draft day. There was no reason to draft Ben Mason. He was not going to be drafted by any team. You know, I know it's your last draft pick. It's a fifth round, but it, it, there's just it's completely inefficient use of capital to use a fifth round pick on Ben Mason. There's other guys out there, maybe a developmental tackle or or a, or a, they had, I know what they had a couple defensive tackles. I really wanted a defensive lineman taken who would have been a reasonable uh, you know, person to take at that point. Ben Mason, you could have had him as a UDFA. But it became more clear to me why they got all fidgety and itchy to make that pick in the fifth round when I heard about Ricard's surgery. And we just learned about that in the last 10 days or so. Yeah, and it's not surprising at all to hear that. And I agree with you, Ken. The whole thing is the Ravens loved Mason, and that was apparent. But they didn't have another pick after that fifth round selection. So they could have traded back in. You know, that wouldn't have been an issue for them, I don't think, and taken them in the seventh round. And that would have made. They could have traded down from their right. fifth round and pick. That, that would have made it. absolute sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we saw, and this, this is something where I think I can talk about Brandon Stevens for a second. The Brandon Stevens pick also got somewhat of some backlash yeah. because I just think people didn't know who he was. And I said at the time, I said, this is an interesting pick. Like, I don't know about this one, but I wasn't saying that because I thought Stevens was a bad player. I was saying it because I just did not do a ton of research on him pre-draft. And people were saying, well, why don't you like him? I said, I didn't say that. I, I don't have a problem with him. It's almost the same thing with Mason, except Stevens plays a position where he can be on the field more and make more of an impact. The Ravens have yeah. a pro bowler. You know, I didn't understand the Mason pick. Also, I thought they could have gotten better positional value. I also wanted to see an offensive tackle or a defensive tackle. I was shocked they didn't take either in the draft, I thought that was going to be a big point of emphasis for them. But I just think right now, with all the depth that they need at other places, with all the talent they have at other places, it puts too much strain on a roster that is probably going to have to cut two, three, four guys who are going to get immediately claimed and should be on the roster yeah. already. Whereas Mason, you can take that 50, 50, 40, 60 chance of getting them on the practice squad or just put them on season ending IR and keep that insurance policy, even though that option does hurt you in 2021 if your card goes down. Yes, it, it does. But but then you got to look at, at how how much better is that option than your best street fullback? Because remember, right. it's a it's a fairly significant size and shape pool of fullbacks. There's a there's a fair number of them out there. It's not a rare body type like left tackle or like you know cornerback in terms of the speed and size combinations you want. It's it's a it's a it's a guy that is generally available. You know, there were a lot of them in college, certainly, and there's very few of them in the NFL. Right. So some of them are out laying bricks or doing whatever else the hell else you do if you're a <laughs> college fullback um, and, and are available now, would love to come play for you. So I, I think your drop off and what your replacement level is at fullback is probably actually higher. You also have the option if, if Mason's on season ending IR to get a one year solution for the thing. So an older guy is fine to a veteran guy who's been around. So given that whole mix of things, I, I like the idea of probably just releasing Mason and taking your chances, keeping on the practice squad. If Ricard has a one-week injury, you bring him up as a practice squad elevation. If Ricard is gone for longer, you you activate him for the season. Yeah, and I think he was on the practice squad. They don't have to worry too much about protecting him unless there's like a seriously known fullback injury that's already happened. Yeah. So you don't have to put too much thought into it. And, you know, for a guy like Ely, it's different. But I think for Mason, you don't have to worry about that protection. 
Yeah, they, they they can't protect a practice squad player in the way people think. By the way, if right. you pre, your, your your practice squad protected list lasts for every day except for Tuesday, I think it is, right. which means that it doesn't it doesn't really protect right. you at all. So if they if they figure out on that day that they that they want you, they just take you anyway. That's what happened with uh, I want to say Will Holden last year was the guy that yep. they lost. Yep. Yeah, out of those circumstances. All right, let's move on. Tony Poljan, I did, I did not think played well. He got blown up by a uh, a linebacker. I do think he's a reasonable practice squad candidate. I still like the the size and shape matchup is one you do not find very often. A guy that big and that tall, you know, can move a little bit. Um, but I, I, he's looked decent as a blocker at times and not decent at others. Yeah, I, I think for him, the writing was on the wall when Oliver kind of had that nice game in week one and people were kind of crowning him the tight end three. I don't anticipate them keeping four tight ends, so that's just a numbers game. I like the undrafted for agent signing, though. I think a lot of potential. You mentioned the size. I think he has a lot of traits that the Ravens like out of their tight end. So if they can get him on the practice squad, I think that's pretty likely at this point. You know, I don't see him on the roster at all. I think he could be a nice option for them. And if they need him for a week or need him for a couple of weeks, I think that's a guy that they can have pretty readily available for the whole season. Yeah. All right, let's move on to wide receiver. Uh, Prochet, I, I think we finally got the game that corroborated what we've seen in practice with actual results under live fire. And he really, he didn't have much in the way of scheme and opportunities, but what he did in this game was really special um, in, in terms of the, the, uh, the catch, certainly in the end zone. You know, the one thing that really got my eye about that is if there was ever a need or a, or a place where you completely forgive a player for a taunting foul, it would have been after that play. <laughs> he takes the ball from between the other guy's hands. You know, oh, I'm sorry, the hand is between his arms. And in the, in the as the play's going on, his helmet gets torn off. You almost expect him to react to that. And somehow he kept his head, didn't do that. Not only was it a great catch, it was a great play after the play in terms of avoiding that taunting call. Right, exactly. And honestly, you know, the whole taunting thing, a lot of people don't agree with it. I'm one of those people. I mean, if this happened to a Ravens defensive back and a, and a Washington receiver made that catch, I'd want them to celebrate it because that's a, uh-huh. that's, that's a good thing for them. I don't, and I get the whole, all right, we don't want disrespectful actions. Like, I think there's a line, though, between what's disrespectful and what's just like, hey, I'm excited I made a play. I want to celebrate it. So I right. think that's exactly what Prochet did. The NFL is obviously cracking down. And he did a great job at doing that. And I mean, not to mention the catch itself, which was spectacular. <laughs> I know yeah. a lot of people have been saying with Prochet, we hadn't seen the, the game action yet. We hadn't seen him finally move mm-hmm. that practice into the games. And people were saying, um, is this Tim White? Is this a guy like Miles Boykin or, or Jeremy Butler, someone who performs well in the offseason, mm-hmm. can't put it together? But he did that. Prochet in college was never one to gain a massive amount of separation on every single route that he ran. Right. He's, ex- he's excellent in contested catch situations, which is where he made his bread and butter. The hands are there. He's everything you want in a contested catch receiver. And he showed that. He's not going to wow you on every route that he runs like he did against, I believe it was Tennessee, that one catch that he had in the 2020 season. It might have been Pittsburgh. I can't remember the exact team. But that play... He, Pittsburgh was two pick sixes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on yeah three, so on, that, uh, that's a game to forget. So yeah. I think it was Tennessee. Yeah. But that route, that whip route, he did a phenomenal job. He's not going to do that every single play. The contested mm-hmm. catch he made against Washington is the player that James Prochet is at his core. He will make tough catches like that. That's the type of receiver that the Ravens need. And I think he has a spot on this roster for sure. 
Okay, so we need to go a little bit faster per receiver. I do want to point out, Prochet also caught the deflection of the of the tip by the defensive tackle. I thought that was great. He reached back on a 17-yard play where he attacked on six yak. Uh, it, it did some good things there, obviously. And he made a really nice block in, in level two to help on Williams' 12-yard run. So, Williams. It was Williams. Tyson mm-hmm. Williams, yeah. yes. Um, I, I, just a just a great – he, he kind of touched a lot of the bases – not quite as many bases as the next guy we're going to talk about, which is Benjamin Victor, who he had a catch of every sort in this game. <laughs> he, he, he was phenomenal. He is definitely a player who, with his game, has gotten into the conversations of does this guy deserve a spot on the roster? Because I think he was just that impressive. He led all receivers in, in every category. You know, receptions, he had five, 85 yards, a touchdown. But it was the types of catches that he was making. That touchdown yes. catch was phenomenal. You know, obviously, Prochet's catch got all the huge hype, and there was the celebration and the non-taunting. But Victor, I think, showed a lot of good traits in this one. He has the, the build that I think the Ravens value, at least what they need right now. And in the game against Washington, he was doing just a little bit of everything right. And if mm-hmm. he doesn't make the roster, now it's not an, all right, well, he's just a practice squad guy. Now there's a serious chance another team's seen that, and yeah. he gets he gets – taken away yeah it's great great point on a little bit of everything and i want to go through this real quickly first catch three yard pass the right hash in the numbers he takes it for 27 yak i want to see that i want to see an ability to make a play after the catch he he also took advantage of a nice block out there by i think it was i think it was williams that was out there blocking for him on that play good spatial awareness to convert third downs twice did that once his six yard play on third and four where he fell forward you don't like to see guys, you know, try and make a play after the catch on a play like that where they curl back and then they and then they do it. And he had another 13-yard play, absorbs a big hit to the helmet from the defensive back. These are the things you really want to see out of a out of a receiver. He high-pointed the ball on the left sideline, brought it back down, toe-tapped in bounds. I mean, every one of his five categories was like a test case for like what you'd want to see at the combine from a receiver in terms of can they handle these various things. Obviously, they don't hit people in the helmet at the combine, but but it'd be <laughs> You know, it, it'd be a nice thing to know about a receiver. Right. Yeah, and, and with that, it, it now all of a sudden, I think Miles Boykin's been out of this conversation for a while, just what he mm-hmm. just hasn't played. It now comes down, I've I've been of the I've been under the understanding that the Ravens, to me at least, they're probably gonna keep six receivers. And so it suddenly becomes a battle, not Prochet versus Boykin, but Prochet versus Victor. And I think Prochet has secured that spot. I don't see any way the Ravens let him go. But now do the Ravens make some gymnastics type move and, and do they put Victor on IR to avoid him not getting taken away by another team? Do they feel confident enough to put seven receivers on their roster? I still think he just misses the cut, but he's like one of the final two or one of the final three who get cut alongside maybe Cologne and Warrior or Stone or one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think he's one of the final cuts at this point. Um, you know, for them to get them on, they they have to they have to make some commitments that are contrary to past commitments. For instance, drafting Miles Boykin, we know what Miles Boykin gives the Ravens as a run blocker at a minimum. We know he can get deep and and make some plays. We know he's done some extended play things. And I know there is a lot of Miles Boykin detractors out there, but we already know some positive things about Miles Boykin under live fire. So I think they're I think they probably do have the last roster decision basically come down to do they need to do they need to keep track of or keep Miles Boykin or not and do they have enough of the ammunition in terms of veteran wink wink 
deals that they can stash him on IR immediately. I, I think they've got about five guys they could do it with. So it seems like they have enough room to put Boykin, to move Boykin onto the roster and then IR him the next day. Yeah, they, they have plenty of options. And I think that's the most important part because we're going to see over these next few hours, you know, just how much the Ravens <laughs> like players like Miles Boykin. Are they, are they done with him? Are they saying, look, you've been injured, you haven't produced? Or are they going to say, we know what you've done run blocking wise. You've been an asset for us in that game or in that part of the game. You've shown us what you can do as a receiver. You just haven't put it all together yet. Let's give you a year to to stick with us mm-hmm. and see what happens. So at this point, to me, Boykin just barely misses it just because I don't think the Ravens have that flexibility right now. But if they surprise and cut a veteran that I don't expect and they bring him back, then that becomes more of a conversation. All right, We've, we're running long here, so I want to be quick on Devin Duvernay. Five catches for 47 in the game. It's two things about Duvernay I like. One is that I think he can take some of the jet motion role that they may need somebody else to take and 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 be more than just a gadget guy doing it, but be a guy who regularly um, does that when he's on the, on the field. It actually will make it kind of difficult for other teams to figure out how to defense a personnel package that includes Duvernay. So it'll, I think that'll be an interesting uh, possibility. But it's also nice to see him get some routes that actually produce some yardage in this game. Yeah, Duvernay impressed me a lot. He, he again, did a little bit of everything, not absolutely everything, but mm-hmm. he showed his versatility on the football field. And I think the Ravens will rely on him a bit in that jet motion role more. I think he could be used a little bit more in – some stuff that J.K. Dobbins did that they're going to miss a couple more things. So they're going to use him in a lot of different ways. I'm expecting a a pretty big breakout year, not necessarily like a thousand yards or anything, but I think that his role is going to be much more than it was in 2020 because he showed the versatility last year, not just to catch a couple really nice passes, but he showed that he can do a lot of stuff moving around the field, going in motion and getting the football in a lot of different ways. Yeah, he's there. Definitely are. There's a lot of things he can do to to endanger space various ways. Going back now, I want to go to Tylen Wallace. Um, Very nice TD catch on the right side. Unfortunate that the taunting occurred. Ridiculous, frankly. If there wasn't something also said, if he said, "Oh yeah," but all I seemed to do was like cross his arms, like he's not. You got to allow players to have some fun. If he said something else, no problem. Then I understand. And you know, honestly, in the in the course of things, it's not a big deal. I'm sure Harbaugh probably asked him. Did you say something? Yeah. But uh, but anyway, hopefully he, he he learns not to say something and all of them learn a little bit how they're going to how the games are going to be called because they're going to be called that way. One thing I really love from Wallace in this game is what Roman forced him to do. Uh, he caught two balls in the middle of the field and it was kind of late in the game where they are obviously forcing the situation It was before the touchdown touchdown pass. Uh, but Roman clearly. Uh, has seen the heat maps or is aware of the heat maps of his college receptions, which basically every single one is right on the right sideline somewhere. And he, he, he called plays where twice in a row or twice in about a four play sequence, uh, Wallace caught balls in the middle of the field. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. He's learning right now. And I don't see him having a huge role this season. I wouldn't be shocked if he was a game day inactive for a lot of the year, mm-hmm. unless injuries, you know, continue to happen. He could have a decently big early year role if, you know, Bateman's obviously probably going on IR and Brown mm-hmm. is returning. But if he misses week one, who knows? But I think that for the most part, Wallace impressed me because he is doing stuff that he just has not done before. And he's learning it at the highest level. It's going to take an adjustment period. I think the preseason was great for him. I think the Ravens forcing him to do that stuff, as you mentioned, is great for him. 
But I think at the end of the day, for me, he's going to be someone who makes an impact a couple years down the line as he learns and continues to get acclimated to the new NFL game and his new role. Okay, we got to go th- more quickly through the running backs here. Edwards ran well, removed early. Not going to even have a response on that. Hill, uh, he didn't play. Uh, obviously, the the loss of uh, Dobbins pro- could impact him. He could now have a role as running back three. I think he's in the discussion. Uh, but let's get let's leave that for the J.K. Dobbins discussion. Tyson Williams, I think, looked great. Clearly, the Ravens' number two back. Great running, great blocking in this game out in front. He's out in front of that touchdown run, uh, made another great block on the 30-yard pass to Victor. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more, but I don't think the Ravens could find a better option right now than Tyson Williams to replace the production, or some of it at least, that Dobbins had. You know, you're not replacing mm-hmm. Dobbins. But I think Williams, you know, he's shown the pass blocking one, which I think so many people are impressed with. You know, he stands in there. He's able to keep quarterbacks clean. He's on the run. He's blocking for receivers. He's doing all of that. He has great cutback. He has power. He gets to the edge. He's able to do a lot of things that the Ravens are going to miss with J.K. Dobbins. But I think that he can make some of them up, you know. We, he showed right. his balance on that week two touchdown run against Carolina where he was oh yeah you know, parallel to three the broken ground. tackles right he was yeah. he was doing the crab walk into into the end zone Dobbins is a great balance player he's one of the best I've seen you know Dobbins reminds me of the balance that Ray Rice had on the football field. yes but I think that with Williams he has shown everything plus he's the receiver out of the backfield that I think the Ravens want this year and they're trying to kind of emphasize a bit more this year where we hadn't really seen it a ton out of the Ravens running backs over the past couple seasons, which is receiving out of the backfield. But Williams has shown hands and he's shown the ability to be a threat out of the backfield as a pass catcher. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, pass blocking is the area where I, I, I maybe is I'm most concerned because he's kind of untested in that, in that area, right. but boy, was he fabulous as a run blocker. So, you know, we, uh, we, we live with, we live with what we see, I guess, in the, in that case. Um, I, I, let's move on. I don't really want to talk about Nate McCrary much. Very courageous to stay in that game. Uh, you know, after he was obviously hurt, looked like he wanted to go to the sidelines. He was tapping yeah. out and they told him go back in. <laughs> yep, yep. And, you know, you really hate to see that happen ever, but, uh, you know, to get through that game was good. He, it's not like he had a great game in terms of statistics or anything, but, but I think he didn't hurt his chances to be the, the RB three. I just think he's part of the discussion. He's not the only discussion. Hill's a possibility because of his, of his, and I guess we're moving on to the JK Dobbins. Where, where do you go? Where do you start looking? for the replacement for J.K. Dobbins. If I give you the choice between veteran back, somebody on the roster currently, a a best player they liked from the 2021 draft class who's been cut, which I think is a, a possibility, or perhaps another undervalued player who doesn't yet have a year of service. And like a Tyson Williams would fall into this category if he were cut by another team. Yeah, it, it's so tough. I mean, you, you look at the guys available on the market right now, and there just isn't a lot – in terms of people who would make the team significantly better or replace up to the level mm-hmm. that you're looking for. This is the same thing I was talking about with Justin Houston for a while. Justin Houston is a clear needle mover on the defense, right? You bring in Justin Houston, your defense gets significantly better than what you originally had on the roster. Whereas Olivier Vernon in that situation wouldn't have done as much and it probably wouldn't have been worth, you know, losing a roster spot of somebody else. So it's kind of getting the money right. In terms of guys for running backs, Todd Gurley's been a name brought up. They're not looking to pursue him, it seems like. 
he's his knees are shot you know he's it's been terrible the last right. two years i mean he's 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 averaged less than four i think it's 3.7 yards per rush and 4.4 yep, yards 4. per 4. target yeah exactly. i mean you, you might as well have a running game if you're throwing to <laughs> running back in those situations i mean it's it's he's been so bad and at 27 he's got so much tread wear mm-hmm. there's no way you can take a chance on him even at the vet minimum i don't want him yeah, it, people have said, well, they brought him in for a visit. It's what they did with Des Bryant. I think Des Bryant's a bit of a different situation because, yes, the line of communication is there, but Bryant did not have nearly the significant injury history. There were there were significant injuries. You know, the Achilles is, is, is nothing to scoff at. But I think with how Gurley has declined, the Baltimore native story is great, but I just mm-hmm. don't think he helps the football team. Other options out there right now, Duke Johnson, good pass catching back, but do they need that right now? It, it help, but is it a needle moving move? Le'Veon Bell, I don't think that's a fit, honestly. You know, he was bashing Andy Reid, who's one of the most well liked coaches in the NFL. So uh, he's a good player. I, I don't think he's as good as he once was, though. Okay, you're, you're third running back, which is what they're talking about getting. He needs to fit several requirements for the Ravens, but I'm going to start with the with the one that maybe most important is he's got to provide you future value because he's not your feature back for this year. So right there, you should be, you should be thinking, how can I figure out a guy who has future value? No veteran back gives you that. Anybody they sign will be a UFA after the season or they, you know, foolishly sign him for two years or whatever. Just nothing will make sense in terms of future value, unless it's a, it's a year one rookie, possibly a year two player. Um, it, It just, you know, it, if you want to plan, if you want to have future value, you got to plan for future value. Don't let that. Don't don't always do it. The Ravens have been terrific at matching up stylistic fits for their offense. You know they got Gus Edwards. You know is exactly this kind of running back. Nobody else wanted him. The Ravens caught him. They had him on their practice squad, but he exactly fit their stylistic needs with Jackson to run that power option. And you know when he came in, it was a seamless fit. Well, the Ravens know what they need to run the rest of Roman's playbook that only Dobbins could be the guy on the field for those plays. And they can try and get as much of that back with somebody they can get that's basically on the scrap heap. Adrian Peterson, all these other guys, they probably don't have the special characteristics, whether it's speed or some other component that they need when they're 30 plus years old. So right away, you throw that away. I think, I think the only thing you might get from an older back is a good receiver, but I just, I don't think, that that's an obvious I don't think there's going to be a guy out there that's so obviously good at that that he's worth the injury risk of an older back yeah and honestly I think that Gus Edwards has improved his receiving enough to the point where he can be what Mm -hmm. they need in that area Tyson Williams same thing we saw it we saw it so I think people are looking at this Dobbins injury and they're saying the Ravens need a veteran who can on the free agent market who can replace that production. That's not happening with anybody who's out there. Dobbins, Dobbins and his production is not getting replaced. It's how can you help the team this year, but also fill a specific role. People look, you know, guys who are on rosters right now, Seattle's backfield is extremely crowded. Rashad Penny's there. DJ Dallas is a name at former Raven. Alex Collins is even there and he's had somewhat mm-hmm. of a decent preseason. So if there's one team that I'm looking at in terms of, all right, if the Ravens make a trade, who has the best options available? I think it's Seattle. Okay. Well, it'd be interesting to see where that comes from. Sometimes there's overlap like there is with Arizona in terms of cornerbacks versus right. versus tackles. And sometimes there isn't. And you just have to wait for cuts or, or even potentially trade draft capital. Let's move on, Josh. Uh, what do you got in the mailbag for us? All right. You guys went real detail with uh, a lot of the guys. So I'm going to bring in some more uh, general questions that came in. 
But one guy that you didn't talk a whole lot about that got fans excited uh, with this game was Huntley. Mm -hmm. Is he, did he get enough attention for other teams to be a trade candidate or is he your typical third string guy that gets excited because he's going up against fourth string guys? I mean, I'll just say the the Ravens can't afford to trade Tyler Huntley. He's their backup quarterback and he does things that McSorley can't do. So um, he's he's not going anywhere. (laughs) I I think that, when looking at it, Huntley is the person who you want in this offense as the backup. He he does a lot of the things that Lamar Jackson can do. He is the typical, all right, who do we want in the Lamar Jackson-led offense? The Ravens, again, they've graduated from Lamar needs a mentor. It's now who can give us the best chance to run a Lamar Jackson-led offense. I think that's Tyler Huntley. McSorley's great, but I think Huntley showed why he's going to be the backup. Yeah. All right. Which offensive player changed your opinion of him throughout camp? throughout camp uh well Schofield I didn't think had any chance to make the team so he changed it a lot but I would say uh Benjamin Victor in this last game oh Powers probably Powers by the most for me I'll say Tyson Williams I know it's kind of like oh he's been the best player but I did not think the running back three was anything I thought it was Justice Hill's job he was not gonna lose it Tyson Williams great practice squad guy he's been everything and more that the Ravens right. want in a running back to. He'd be a running back too, and I think a few teams right now. So what he's brought to the table, I've been extremely impressed. Yeah, I, I agree. Now that you mentioned it, I, I think as much as Powers has turned it around, uh, I completely agree. I, I, Huntley could go in that group too yeah. as being a player. But the Ravens had a lot of guys who had big camps is what that really tell you. You know, Jalen Ferguson, if you're not yes. talking about the defense, yes. incredible step for it. He was someone who I had off of my roster, and he's impressed me probably the most out of anybody. All right. Final question. Uh, with the first game two weeks away, what's your biggest concern on the offensive side of the ball? Go ahead, Kevin. I, I would probably say just wide receiver continuity and getting those guys up to speed. Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson have had a lot of chemistry. Jackson has been on record saying, I'm not worried about it. We had our work in Arizona. It's been great. I think that helps. But the practice reps would have been better. The preseason reps if Jackson had gotten in there in the first or second preseason game would have been better. I don't think it's going to be overly concerning to the point where this offense completely struggles and can't throw the ball, but I think it still could be a couple of weeks before we fully see them get fully comfortable with each other. Yeah, I, I you know, it's incredible we're saying this just a couple of days after after Dobbins is hurt, but I think tackle depth is still a bigger problem than running back depth right now. So I, I'd, I'd probably say tackle depth. I'm also, I'm a little bit concerned about the tight end situation that they they don't have the deep groups of tight ends that allows a lot of Ray, a, a Roman's playbook to be run effect, efficiently. So you want to run a lot of 13, they probably don't have the guys for that right now. All right. And I'm going to throw a final question in of myself, more general NFL uh, NFL was already going in this direction, but the Dobbins injury, does that make it so next year we see even less uh, stars in the preseason? I'd, I'd say so. I The three preseason game thing, I think, has thrown a couple teams for a loop. We, what we usually saw, let's go back to four preseason games. It was mm-hmm. your players played the most in the third preseason game, that second to final one. And then in the last preseason, preseason game, everybody rested. And it was only starters. And that and the, the Ravens' last preseason loss six years ago was Bryn Renner throwing all the passes. So I think that, in my opinion, I don't have a problem playing starters in the preseason. I just don't want them playing in the final game. You know, this wasn't a thing where I thought that starters shouldn't have played at all. I think it was good to get Dobbins reps in the first and second preseason game. It would have been fine to get Jackson a quarter in the second one. But once you hit that final preseason game, look, injuries can happen anywhere. 
but I do think that we'll start to see a few less starters play because this was, a, I think, a kind of a wake-up call to the Ravens and, and what they do. But also, I don't think they're going to operate under fear in terms of injuries. Right. They've, they, they have had, in past years, a lot of injuries in camp as well. And I mean, this year at the wide receiver core, you look at that and see how much all the time they're going to miss. Dobbins is a, is a, a huge player to lose. And it is kind of a sum of all fears situation, as Jerry Sandusky put it, that you lose a player like that in the last preseason game. The history of the NFL from the Burt Jones era, from the time he got injured by Bubba Baker in 1978, uh, the amount of time that you spend um, the, the, that the starters spend playing in preseason games have been steadily declining. I mean, it used to be about three quarters, maybe during the early Joe Flacco era that a, that a player would play, maybe even more than that. Um, and, and now it's it's really about one quarter is the total amount of time you want your starters to play in all the preseason games combined. This was supposed to be, you know, the third preseason game. It has the same amount of time until the start of the season. So I don't really have a problem with them trying to see what they have in this game. You know, they wanted it for a series. It, it obviously it didn't work out in this particular case. It is extremely bad luck. I'm just not sure that we know otherwise how to how to evaluate players under live fire. All right. Well, that's going to take care of the film study mailbag. Remember to get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. Ken, what's coming up over these next two weeks as we get ready for the first kickoff? We have a ton of concerns episodes coming up, and there's something to look for. Some great new people I've met, and they are so much fun to talk to who have their own concerns about the Ravens. And the truth of the matter is, the 2021 Ravens are a very thoroughly built team. They're deep all over the place. They've got, you know, they have relatively few concerns. And yet I asked 12 people and I come back with 11 different ideas for concerns. And and I think we have about 14 of these episodes or 15 in total. And they get into some stuff you won't believe. So keep an eye out for those are out on a daily basis and uh, and they'll be coming up and all done by the time that that first game is played. Yep. And then we're going to have a Know Your Foe episode each week, uh, like previous years. So we'll have that coming up next week as we get ready yeah we have a great great guest for know your foe in week one i don't want to say anyone who it is because i don't want to jinx it just in case he backs out but uh it's it's a it's a national guy and we're really looking forward to it all right and kevin uh want everyone to go subscribe to locked on ravens over in their favorite podcast app same app you're listening to film study uh what do you have over there for the next two weeks yeah we're gearing up for this season we'll get into some cut down day reviews getting into the preseason reviews as well as just getting into some players who I think played their way on and or off of the roster based off of who actually made the team and didn't make the team practice squad evaluations. Obviously that's pretty big guys who the Ravens could sign off of waivers guys who got cut. And then obviously gearing up for that Raiders game. I think it's, it's great. I'm excited. Ravens football is back. I think it's going to be a good year for this team. Hopefully the injuries kind of subside and, and we're kind of done with that. And we had what it was, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of exciting content. All right, great. And what's your Twitter handle that everyone can go follow you? Yeah, for me, it's it's at KOSTRIKER34 in the Ravens, or the Locked on Ravens show account is at Locked on Ravens. All right, that's great. All right, guys, we're getting really to the exciting part of counting down to kickoff, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.